United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and you're going to hear me saying Happy New Year quite a bit as we put 2020 behind us, although we've learned so much about ourselves, about each other, about the association, about how close our family is, so certainly gained something indeed. On our special New Year's Eve edition, once again, it's a jam-packed show. We kick off with Mike Watola, the longtime executive editor for Soccer America as we flash back on some of the top stories in soccer in our country. Mike does such a great job breaking those down, including a couple of his own stories that he threw in at the end. Then we start to focus in again on the digital convention, which will take place January 11 through 15. Amanda Cromwell, national champion head coach from UCLA, former national team member, All-American at Virginia. She does a creative field session all about creating goal-scoring opportunities that goes deep. Lots of editing. Amanda does a phenomenal breakdown of that presentation. You won't want to miss it during the digital convention. After her, we start handing out hardware. The National High School Coaches of the Year have been announced. And from Mars PA, Blair Gerlach is your National Coach of the Year for large high school in the girls category. I like Blair a lot. He joins me. After him, Ray Alley, longtime publisher, editor, do-it-all man for Southern Soccer Scene, a friend of the association, longtime member. Great to go down memory lane with Ray Alley. Nicole Hercules, of course, is the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group. She's also a media darling. She'll be a host with me and three other superstars as part of the digital convention. Nicole Hercules talks about that role and continuing to push forward as we fight the battle against racism. And we end meeting another outstanding member of our 30 under 30 class, Sammy Ajay, whose dad was actually on the Ghana Olympic team. Sammy, now a college coach for women at the D2 level. I like this young man. You're going to like him too. That is our show. It is loaded and it's loaded for you. New Year's Eve style. Happy New Year's. We kick off after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Dean Linky, wishing each and every one of you a happy new year. The same for your family and, of course, for the entire United Soccer Coaches family. We've got another big show, and we're kicking it off, taking a look back on the year that was, and boy, was it a doozy indeed, right? The pandemic, social injustice, so many layers 
but we're going to still find the top stories and we're going to push forward. And doing that off the top is Mike Waitola, the longtime executive editor for Soccer America. We picked out some key stories and he's going to share some stories that he also wants to put the spotlight on as we do move forward. So with that, Happy New Year, Mike, and thanks for kicking off the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. That's my pleasure, Gene. Good to be with you. Well, top of my list for stories from the past year are all these young superstars that can play for the U.S. national team that are going overseas and making a name for themselves. Of course, Gio Reyna at the top of the list, but he is one of many. These young men still in their teen years getting it done, Mike. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, one of the most interesting things that that we've really witnessed in American soccer. I think what it says is that a lot of things have been going right over the last decades in American soccer and American youth soccer because when the U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup in 2018, there was a lot of a sort of a doomsday sense from a lot of people, and, and there were also issues with the youth game, as there always will be. But while this was going on and while people were thinking maybe things were, were so awful, there had been positives, and the Development Academy is no longer the U.S. Soccer, U.S. soccer pulled the plug on it, but I think we can all agree that it may have had some flaws, but it's thanks very much to the Development Academy that the U.S. that U.S. soccer set up, and the academy, the youth programs that MLS teams created, you know, over the last decades, so the last decade or so. So you know, that was really it. Really came, it really changed um, youth soccer in the sense that it gave our very very best players you know, a good environment and, and very competitive soccer. And, and, and I think that's why we're seeing one of, one, of the, one of the main reasons, important reasons why we're seeing, you know, these young Americans do so well in Europe. One follow-up to that, Mike, as it relates to Geo, it doesn't hurt when your dad is a world-class player, represented the USA in multiple Olympics and World Cups, and your mom starred for North Carolina and, and was also on the national team, but they're also great parents. I interviewed them as part of the vision of a champion podcast with Anson Dorrance, and they are truly humble people. They let Gio be his own man. That doesn't hurt either when you look at his incredible growth. Yeah, no, that is really amazing. <laughs> you know, on top of that, and 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 Gio is exceptional just as his father was, and, and you know, and his mom was a, a, a very high level player, so. Yeah, it's just one of the many interesting stories that, that we've seen in, in American soccer. Mike, also making my top five stories of last year, the Columbus crew, right? They were going to get moved to Austin. There was a save the team rally, and Caleb Porter takes them all the way to the MLS Cup title, missing two key starters, Aiden Morris, the youngster who's been on the podcast, jumps in there. What a story out of Columbus, right? Yeah, and you know that was very much fan driven. I mean, there was the fans that created a movement to to save that to save that club. I mean, that that, that thing is wonderful. I mean, the fans are so important, and in this case, uh, it just shows you what it means to have that kind of support. And you know, the support they had in Columbus that that goes back to you know the team's history, which also includes Ziggy Schmidt when he was the coach there, and when they won the, the first national their first MLS Cup, and the kind of relations that he created between the club and the fans. My next story looking back at 2020 was the NWSL and not the fact that they pulled off the first bubble event because that was amazing. We've talked a lot about that on this podcast and kudos to the NWSL and not because of 
what happened in the fall series, although it was great to see new teams step up and get it done. Well done to Houston for winning the Challenge Cup, Portland for winning the fall series. But for me, it was the television numbers that blew my mind. It was incredible, the ratings the NWSL drew, both in the Challenge Cup and in the fall series, Mike. I think the most important thing for the future of, of girls and women's soccer is the professional club level. You know, the the, the women's national team is, is wonderful. What they've done is, is unprecedented in sports history. With you know, the, 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 what they've done for girls soccer and, and it, it's just fantastic. But what really needs to happen is that you have a viable pro women's league. So there's more opportunities, not just for the 30 or so women that are in the national team pool, but uh, you know, for the hundreds that 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 want to do that and you know is one of those silver linings of the pandemic was that people had more time to watch and you need to expose delete to as many fans as possible and then put on the type of soccer that'll that'll have them coming back another story you kind of referenced it already in relation to the youngsters overseas but the fall of the da where do you think that leaves the youth game I have real mixed feelings about it because, um, you know, I, I do believe that it was time for the for U.S. soccer to retreat and focus more on the national team program, the youth national team program, you know, creating a, a bigger scouting network. My worry, though, is that it's not the end of the turf wars. In the wake of the DA's demises, you've had, uh, you know, MLS step in, which I think is admirable because someone kind of had to step in. It just happened, like, overnight. You know, the girls and the boys' side, it's different dynamics, but, you know, on both sides you have these leagues that are competing to be what they think is the, you know, the elite level. And what I don't want to see again is two good, very high-level clubs in the same area that don't play each other because they've got different badges on. You know, you've also got USU soccer. You've got all this alphabet super soccer, which uh, what I'd like to see really is, is the regionalization, the localization of, of, of youth soccer, and then – and then only at the higher age groups you go national because we've got far too much, you know, national competitions that are unnecessary at the younger ages that I think are just a, they're too often, you know, revenue-driven. So I'm, I'm hoping that we come out of this pandemic and we come out of the changes on the youth scene with a lot more sanity. Two more stories on the year, and then I want to get your take on any stories that I missed because I'm sure I missed some. But because of COVID, it kind of kickstarts the Sasso Swarovski 21st century model. At least we – hope, assuming everything is clear with COVID for the spring season, it kind of gives us a chance to take a look at that model. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it is. It, 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 so something that was going to happen, I mean, that were that they were hopeful of happening, which was to, to, to spread out the season over more months, over, over, you know, two semesters, which, you know, would be such a big improvement on the environment of, of college soccer, and, and, and we didn't know if that was really going to happen, even though there was hope, and now it's kind of, you know, now it's happened because of, of necessity. It's hard for me to say what, you know, the long term is going to be, is it, it you know, is it, is it going to be something that they say, okay, this is great, we can we can manage, you know, the facilities at these campuses, and, we, we you know, we can, we can do all that, and we can go long term with this. We'll, we'll see whether that, that, that you know, it's, I do believe that it's probably going to only work on the, on the men's side. You know, for various reasons, college soccer in the United States, like like soccer at all levels, is challenged by the fact that our country is so diverse and so huge. Uh, you know, so you've got different scenarios and, and on different campuses and different conferences. So, you know, I, I mean, you mentioned Sasso Swarovski, who deserves a lot of credit. When this idea was bandied around, you know, I've been around long enough to know that's something that college coaches have been talking about for 
for, for decades, and I never believed it would get this close, where the NCAA would actually consider doing something that's good for soccer, uh, because they haven't treated it very well. And it's because of Sasso Swarovski and the people that uh, he worked with that we've gotten this far. We're flashing back, doing a year in review with Mike Watella, the longtime executive editor of Soccer America. And one story I'm sneaking into my top five, Mike, that I hope you appreciate is the fact that United Soccer Coaches, and of course this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast, recognized Paul Gardner as the first ever recipient of a long-term service media award. It'll be the first annual, and it's only fitting that Paul Gardner would get it. And I was able to talk to him last week, and he brought that same wit at 90 that he's always had. He reminds me so much of Bill Nye from Love Actually, his quick wit and funny and self-deprecating. He's just a, a classic, a legend, and you've been able to work with him for a long time. I know he's one of your best friends, but I'm sneaking that into my top five. I hope that's okay, Mike. And I hope it's okay that uh, he reminds me of Bill Nye. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, Paul's a friend of mine and a longtime colleague, and he uh, turned 90 in, on May 15th, and we were planning a big uh, celebration. And um, we couldn't do it because of the, of the pandemic. And, you know, you can imagine how tough it is for someone, you know, in that situation in New York City. So the honor from the United Soccer Coaches was just wonderful. Paul's an amazing journalist. He's a fantastic writer. I think Paul could write entertainingly and intelligently about anything. We're fortunate enough that he chose it, it to be soccer. And he's not only um, covered the game, he's made people really think about important issues. He's, he, he writes about every level. He writes about the rules. There's very few journalists who know as much about the soccer rules. Uh, he writes about soccer safety. He covered concussion issues before people were talking about it. He, could, he covered the neglect of the Latino community in American soccer before anybody else was writing about it. You know, he's been a, just a great, you know, a great part of, of the American game. We covered a lot, and we didn't even get to the fact that another election coming up for U.S. soccer probably didn't touch enough on the fact that a lot of these top U.S. women stars are also playing overseas. But what did I miss from your point of view, Mike, that you definitely want us to cover as we look back on 2020? Well, I think, uh, you know, a couple things that happened during the pandemic was the you know, United Soccer Coaches being one example figured out ways to reach out to members of the soccer community uh, who needed advice and who needed help, um, filling in the gap in other ways when it came to being able to virtually, you know, replicate some of the, you know, the coaching issues or what, just in general what, what soccer needs in this country. I also think that what was extremely significant was the reaction from the soccer community and MLS players to the racial injustice issues, you know, that really came to the forefront this year. You know, soccer is a, a sport where, um, especially professional soccer, it's, it's, a, it's a meritocracy like I think no other business. In other words, you have to be good at what you do because your team has to win. That's what it's all about. And in a locker room in the United States, the players, the teammates are from so many different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. And I think that gives soccer players a unique insight on those kind of social injustice issues. I think they can, you know, you can be a, a guy like Chris Wondolowski who, who grew up in a, you know, in a wealthy zip code in, zip code in, uh, in Northern California, you know, who, who's spending a career where he's often becoming very connected with a teammate who might become, who might become a favela. 
You know, he might be from um, an underserved community. And that, I think, created some insight that resulted in what I thought was extremely important reaction from professional soccer and, and the soccer community to very, very important issues. Yeah, and you are spot on as always. Mike, I could talk to you all day, quickly recapping the year that was. Mike Wotola, the executive editor of Soccer America and uh, a legend in his own way. Mike, thanks so much for kicking off our show, and hopefully we can see you digitally tuning in to the convention January 11th through 15th. Happy New Year to you, my man. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for the compliments, and, and being, uh, you know, likewise, uh, I really appreciate what you do, and, you know, Happy New Year. Great way to kick off the show, taking a look back at the year that was with Mike Watola, the longtime executive editor for Soccer America. Coming up, we put the focus back on the digital convention January 11th through 15, and we are so pleased to be joined by Amanda Cromwell, All-American player at Virginia, member of the national team, great coach at UCF, went to UCLA in 2013 and immediately won a national championship and always has her team knocking on the door. So many of her players are now playing at the next level, including in NWSL. She is doing a special field presentation entitled Creating Goal Scoring Opportunities That Goes Deep. She'll break down her session, which you'll want to see as part of the digital convention. Amanda Cromwell, head coach, UCLA Women, when we return. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Once again, here's Dean Linky. We now focus on the convention and one of the presenters actually featured clinicians, Amanda Cromwell, who is the head coach of the UCLA women's soccer team where she won a national championship in her first year with the Bruins and always has her team knocking on the door of the College Cup. She played at Virginia, a longtime member of the U.S. national team, played professionally, coached at UCF. She is legit. Amanda Cromwell, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we want to dig right into your featured presentation as part of what is a unique convention as it goes digital, but it's about creating goal-scoring opportunities. You filmed it, I guess, back in the fall, but tell us what we're going to see and what you want people to learn from it, Amanda. Yeah, we filmed this with UCLA um, early November, I believe it was. Just like any team, when you're maintaining possession, it's what are you doing with that possession? You, just, you don't want to just possess the ball to have it. You want to be dangerous. So it's about using the width. It's about probing centrally when it's on, combination play, and really breaking lines. I focus on two of the drills in that practice where we, you know, we have it in a smaller grid and then go a little bit bigger. And so you can see it um, develop and you see the players, you know, doing a good job of taking the coaching points and, and trying to be creative and, and trying to, um, you know, you, you want to look um, internally, but not for the sake of um, losing possession. So that's what we're trying to teach them too is, Sometimes you got to move the defenders to create the gaps you want and, and it's being patient and, and changing the point. And I think finding the target is a really important part of the process in our attack. And I think, I think a lot of coaches and players would agree probably. 
Talk about the stop and go of doing it this way. Was there a lot of editing? Did you stop and face the camera and talk? I'm guessing you were mic'd up the entire time. Just talk about the dynamics of putting this together. Yeah, I was mic'd up the whole time and uh, we just let it run. We have a manager that is allowed to be back. We've only had one of our student managers back on campus because of COVID and he does a great job with the editing part. And we, we had to make it shorter because, it, you know, I don't want someone to sit there and, and uh, fall asleep while watching the session. But, it, you know, again, I just took two parts of it out. So the, the actual um, session, recorded session part will be, will be about, you know, 20, 25 minutes of watching. And then I'll be on as well to do a Q&A at the end. I'll, I'll present the session at the beginning just to make sure they understand what I was trying to do and what the grid size is and all of those, you know, details. It should be fun to watch and you get to see UCLA players in action and, and UCLA players making mistakes and them also taking pitching points and, and doing well with it and, and really trying to, you know, affect the game in a way that what we're asking them to do in, in those two segments, I think they really did a good job. Well, you mentioned doing well. You're doing a great job at UCLA. You replaced the legendary Joe Ellis and rattled off a national championship and knocking at a, a couple other ones as well, Amanda. And one of the things that uh, you can always say about your team is you guys like to play attractive, entertaining soccer. We'll see that, right, with this theme, creating goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, I think so. And, yeah, we, we've been knocking on the door um, too much. We're not opening the door enough. So this is Maybe this will help us open the door to uh, another championship to, you know, because in the end, you had to score goals and you have to be dangerous in the attack and you have to figure out defenses that are, are doing a really good job of getting numbers behind the ball, numbers around you. Um, especially in our game, we, we, might, um, we not, might see teams just get um, two lines of four behind the ball and just keep too high. And, and so we, we have to be creative. Um, and so that's really what I'm asking them to do in this session is, can you be creative um, with, with following some of these examples of what, how we, we tell them that it could be successful to get in? You have to use the width. You have to create numbers. You have to probe central. You have to find the target. And then it's just, what do you do off of it? One of my favorite goals from, I think it was last season against Florida State, one of our outside backs dribbling forward centrally finds one of our, one of our targets and our midfield runs off runs off of them. It's a little, it's a little three player combination. And it's just, it's a simple, you know, the movements are pretty simple, but you have to see it first. So that's part of this session too, is, is seeing it. Can you, can you think about it early and get under that target to be in support instead of that target having to take two, three touches and then everything's closed down. So that's a big part of it is I think you'll see the players, they, they see the movements that need to happen. And we talk about multiple movements all the time in our game. And, you know, you watch the Premier League, you know, the explosive movements, the multiple movements, and we can't, we can't move enough in our game. It doesn't have to be a consistent, um, you know, same pace. That's, that's actually not beneficial. You want to have multiple movements at different pace. And sometimes it's walking, sometimes it's a explosion to in support. So those are all kind of themes that we try to look at in this session. Can't wait. It'll be, creating goal-scoring opportunities. Check your schedule as we get closer to the Digital Convention January 11 through 15. I mentioned you played at Virginia, you're at UCF, now you're settling in at Westwood. And 
I'll tell you what, we had Jose Mourinho was interviewed by Joe Cummings, and Jose in the interview said that his favorite place to practice when he comes to the United States is at UCLA. I yeah. used to live just outside of Westwood, and what a great place to work and play, right? And if Jose says it's great, it's got to be great, right, Amanda? That's great he said that. I've I've watched, I've had the honor of watching multiple uh, pro teams, you know, Real Madrid, Man U, um, Chelsea, uh, the list goes on. Um, so I've been really fortunate um, to, to be around for those teams coming in. And it is a great place. Um, the weather's awesome. Um, you have everything you need here in Westwood and you can get to go surfing or hiking at the same time, you know, the next, the same day, if you want to. Now, the other thing that I like when I talk with you is uh, I've been the longtime voice of the courage and we are, you know, UCLA East, right? When you think about uh, you know, the goalkeeper and then Abby Dahlkemper and Sam Mewis and Haley Mace, who I think is going to be legit. I love that Paul Riley held on to her rights because I think she's going to be nasty once she gets in shape and gets rolling. That's got to be a cool part of what you do, right? To see your Bruins now move on to the next level. Oh, it's, it's awesome. And just seeing them all over the league. I think during the, during the challenge cup, we had the most players of any uh, university in the challenge cup. And, you know, it's kind of like, who do we root for? It's, it's, it's a good problem to have when you have multiple players on multiple teams competing. And um, yeah, the courage has always been fun because they, they've had so <laughs> many friends on that team and you're right. Haley is going to be sick <laughs> and, and whoever you know puts her in the right place to be uh you know that works for their system because she can play in the back or up front it's hard not to play her up front with how explosive she is and her ability she can score goals and um she can impact the game in a moment a moment you know don't blink because Haley might uh, get by you well and she can strike a ball she, she actually can strike a ball and you might think this is a stretch but uh, she can strike a ball like Michelle Akers, who I remember when she played could strike a ball like a man. That's how well Haley Mace hits the ball. So speaking of Michelle Akers, and I know this is a podcast, so people won't see this, but I was the uh, junior press officer for the 91 World Championship team. You were there for the poster right beforehand. And unfortunately, Amanda, uh, you know, we're going to throw shade to 2020, but we're going to throw a little shade at Anson Dorrance because you were the last cut and you were part of the qualifying and everything else as I see you in this picture sitting right between Julie Foudy and, and Kim Maslin what do you remember about those days and and we can throw a little shade at Anson right for you yeah now. I have to throw I have to throw something at Anson like you know he knows like I'm a I'm a little like rookie on that team and I'm I'm working hard to make it I'm unqualifying in Haiti and and then he uh he throws out he's like oh, I need to I need to bring a third goalkeeper and reward some uh, veterans and um, you know, I, I, I understood, but I have to, you know, I have to give him a hard time because um, that, that was, it, you know, it was bittersweet to tell you the truth because that fall, we, we, I would have had to miss um, the fall postseason with my college team and we made it to the final four. So I was able to participate in that. Unfortunately, we lost to UNC in the semis, as I recall. So I couldn't like just get, get totally back to Anson on that, but um yeah, that those times were awesome, and you know Michelle Akers was one of my, and still is one of my best friends. And um, you're right, she. I don't think there's many men that could hit a ball like Michelle Akers, to tell you the truth. And yeah, um, Haley Mace can strike a ball that well uh, with both feet. If you want to see her strike, strike an incredible goal. Um, I think it was two years ago against um, SC. We went down, um, I think two to one with uh, with five minutes left. And literally off the kickoff, Ashley Sanchez and Haley Mace, Ashley does her dribbling down and she lays one off to Haley about probably about 25 out, 
out and uh, Haley just strikes it first time and it is a laser. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those, it's like you, it, didn't even, it looked so effortless and that's the thing. She can hit a ball really well with not, she doesn't need a big wind up. She can, she can smack it. She has really good technique. That is so awesome. Just two more questions for Amanda Cromwell. We'll let you go as we look forward to your presentation as part of the digital convention. You know, one thing we can definitely say, even with players going over to Europe right now, I mean, the numbers for NWSL on TV, like three, 400,000 people watching the games, the success of the U.S. team. The time is now for women's soccer, Amanda. It's amazing. But it is, and you see um, you know, the, the team starting up like Angel City here in, in L.A. and um, – ACFC, um, super excited, and everyone's behind that. Um, obviously, Kansas City um, starting and Louisville. Um, so, I mean, just the, the pro league is is exciting to see what's going on and um, everything with with TV and, and just the level of play. Like when during COVID, when you know we were the first sport to come back, team sport to come back, I wasn't super um, excited to watch it first because I was like, oh my expectations were going to be low. Um, but when I, I was really pleasantly surprised to see the level of play was very good. Players had gotten themselves fit, um, which was really hard in those extreme circumstances of not even being able to find fields sometimes um, that were open, at least here in California, it's been, it's been uh, hard for our athletes. And um, so I was, I was really excited to see the, the level of play and, um, and you see the effects of that, some of them going, going abroad in the off season, you know, Sam Lewis and Rose Lavelle and, you know, the list goes on. Um, so I'm just excited to see really the progression of it all over the world and, um, and just seeing all, all of the leagues that are doing really well to promote our game. Finally, Amanda, we'll end with this because I still consider you one of the hip young coaches out there, yet every time United Soccer Coaches calls, you always seem to make time for this organization. Why do you do that, Amanda? Because I know they appreciate it. You know, you always want to give back, and I especially want to try to help mentor the young uh, female coaches um, and, and give them opportunities. We have an all-female staff at UCLA. Um, it wasn't really by design. It, it, you know, it just happened that way. I was able to bring Saskia Weber on as a volunteer coach, one of my former national team teammates. Um, you know, when Jenny Binden went to be the head of LMU, like Lou Lieberman's now the head at San Diego. So we have these women going off to be head coaches. Um, Josh, who was my longtime assistant, um, is, is now with James Madison. So it's cool. And not only, I, I don't want to just support the women, but also my assistants. I want to try to help them get to wherever they want to be in the coaching world and and, and give back to the game and, and whatever, you know, when we have the, um, the training session, the open training session, I'm always very like, yeah, come on, you know, come to a training session. And I always tell the coaches that come to that. And we, we always have that really well attended. I'm, I'm so glad United Soccer Coaches sponsors and, and heads that up because it is a good opportunity for all these coaches to really know that, that there's an opening and they're welcome to do that. And then I always tell them, come back anytime. Um, our, our training sessions are always open and I'm always willing to sit down and have lunch and talk about what we're doing and why. And I think it's good. Like we need to, we need to share ideas with each other for the good of the game, for the, for the betterment of the athletes and um, you know, really the student athlete welfare for their, um, especially now during COVID mental health issues, physical health. So I, I just think sharing and uh, giving back is, is part of uh, what we're supposed to do.
Brilliant answer from a brilliant person, a brilliant coach. Amanda Cromwell, you always have time for me and United Soccer Coaches, and I always appreciate it. Never take it for granted. Thank you so much. Thank you. The digital convention, it'll have field presentations broken down. It'll have panels and we'll also have awards, including the high school coaches of the year. We talked to Blair Gerlock, who won the national high school coach of the year for girls, large school, high schools. Blair Gerlock, when we return. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college. Welcome back to our New Year's Eve edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap as we continue to put a white hot focus on the digital convention, which will take place January 11 through 15. We will be, of course, recognizing great achievements, and it's no different as it relates to high school. Back on December 17th, United Soccer Coaches announced the association's 2020 National Coaches of the Year for high school boys and girls soccer, as well as the National High School Assistant coach of the year and taking home the large school girls national coach of the year Blair Gerlock Mars area high school that's in Mars PA and let me just tell you a little bit about this young man Gerlock led his Mars area squad to a 19 and 0 record in their second consecutive PIAA 3A state championship in 2020 they finished the fall season ranked number one in the final United Soccer Coaches high school rankings sponsored by Verizon the team captured its 11th straight section title and has a 42-match unbeaten streak. He sports a career record of 321, 61, and 17 in 22 years. That's legit. And was named the 2020 United Soccer Coaches High School Coach of Significance for the state of Pennsylvania. Our large school, girls high school coach of the year. Welcome, Blair Gerlock. Good. Thank you for having me on, Dean. Yeah, you know what? I don't care what you say, Blair. It never hurts when uh, you get recognized for your achievements. This is pretty special, right? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, its very humbling, very uh, happy for the players and the program. The girls have done a heck of a job putting Mars on the map. <laughs> I like that, Mars on the map. We'll get to know Mars a little bit better, but 22 years you've been the top man there. That must mean you love it there. Yeah, you know, we've got a great support system. Uh, the school district is very supportive. Um, athletic director has been awesome, Scott Heinauer. And the families in this area are really bought in to do whatever it takes to uh, try and keep a successful program rolling. Notice how you say Scott Heinauer with no problem, right? It only took him a few years to get Gerlock right, correct? Yeah, yeah. He, lo he, loves, he loves to mess with my name a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but he's always been there um, and supported us a lot. And, you know, when I first got to the program, you know, I was told that, uh, you know, we wouldn't have much support because it was, uh, it was a pretty heavy football town. And now the boys and girls side both having a nice run. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about Mars area. Where is it and uh, what it's all about? It's clearly a large school. Yeah. So Mars is a, it's a triple A school, maybe 15 to 20 minutes north of the city of Pittsburgh. I grew up about 20 minutes down the road in a neighboring school district called Hampton. And when I was in high school, Mars had, you know, one stoplight and a bunch of farms and fields and 
that was pretty much it. And now it's kind of turned into like a little mini metropolis. It's like a, it's like a mini Pittsburgh at this point. It's very developed so far and lots of new housing plans and so forth. So certainly a community on the rise. All right, let's get to know you a little bit better. You said you grew up around Pittsburgh. How many brothers and sisters? Where'd you go to college? And when did you know you wanted to be a coach, Blair? Graduated from Hampton High School in 1994. I have an older brother named Graham. Uh, who graduated two years prior to me. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to play on a state championship high school team with my brother when I was a freshman um, and he was a junior. So that was a great run there. You know, I ended up going to the University of Maryland to play in the ACC, ended up sustaining an injury and taking about a year off from school to rehab and so forth and ended up finishing my elementary ed degree at Slippery Rock University. I started coaching literally the week before my playing career was done because I knew that I wanted to keep soccer involved in my life and you know wasn't sure if it was going to go anywhere after the college years just sort of started coaching at a local club uh, that was called Northern Steel at the time while I was doing my student teaching and I am now the executive director of that club so it's been kind of a, a very interesting run you know I've been at the same club now for a little over 20 years and at the same high school program for a little over 20 years. I think that says a lot about you as a person. That means people like being around you and you like being around the people that you're working with, right, Blair? Yeah, I mean, I've got such great people to work with. You know, and they say, if you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life, right? So, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have some great people. Actually, a lot of the people that I work with now are people that I coached. So I'm very flattered to have a lot of kids after they come back from college, come back and say that they want to start coaching. And some of them are even full-time with me right now. So it's very cool for me just to sort of see the circle of life come around this area. It's kind of cool that uh, you first started at Maryland. I don't know if you know this about me, but I've caught a lot of big games at Maryland over the years, first with the NSCA game of the week and now pretty regularly with the Big Ten Network. That's pretty good soccer you were headed to right there, my man. It was. I was very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to be involved with the under-20 men's national team when I was you know, 17 toward the end of my time at, at Hampton in high school, the injury that I had at Maryland was just really bad timing because <laughs> um, I was just sort of getting into the under 20 men stuff. And so I got to play on some pretty cool stages. I got to play against the World Cup team when, you know, Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lawless and Hugo Perez and Kobe Jones and all those guys were playing. We don't need to talk about the score of that game, but I got to play against them. And I've just had some really awesome experiences. And now to be able to share this with, uh, you know, with my family, uh, my wife is extremely supportive and I have a daughter on the high school team now. So that's a pretty cool thing for me. And to be able to share that two years in a row with her, you know, I, I joked with her at the end of this year and I said, you know, you've won more titles than me as a player. <laughs> <laughs> She's got two, she got two for two. You know, I only got one of those. Well, but you get two as a coach for sure though. So what's your daughter's name? What position does she play? Yeah. My daughter's name is Eden. She is a center forward. Okay. Um, she's a sophomore this year. And she also plays for the club that I run. So we've had a pretty cool club experience now too. We've sort of joined forces with a club called Century that runs out of the South Hills of Pittsburgh. The former Northern Steel Club is now called Century Steel. So we've got an update in facilities and I work with some uh, some really high profile coaches from the area. So it's, uh, it's a cool experience. It's really nice to collaborate with people that uh, are on the same wavelength and the same page. I like your journey coming up a little later in the show, Sammy Ajay, one of our 30 under 30 
members. His dad played for the Ghana Olympic team and then played for the Metro Stars, and they stayed in the state. So his journey's amazing. But he's now the Bloomfield College women's coach. And I asked him about uh, switching over to coaching women. Obviously, you've been doing it for a long time. When did you make that switch, and what do you enjoy about coaching women? Yeah, so actually, in my 20 years at Mars, I first started with the boys' side. I was an assistant coach for a year and then the head coach of the boys for five years. And then right around the time when um, I was put onto girls only at Northern Steel and I was, you know, announced as the girls director of coaching, my thought process was, you know, in my opinion is the games are so different, the men's game and the women's game, is I wanted to be around women's soccer as much as possible to make sure that I was doing my job the best I could. So I went to my athletic director and said, hey, I'd like to switch to the girls' side. And he kind of looked at me like, are you nuts? Like, the boys are on a great streak. You've got the best freshman class you've ever had, and you want to switch to the girls' side? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I, I feel like, you know, this is, a, this is a long-term move for me. And I just enjoy teaching. And I feel like with my experiences so far with the girls, they're so willing to receive new information and are – traditionally so much more coachable and to me it was just uh it was an opportunity to to get into an environment where I felt like I could be the most productive turns out that's that you know you 13 to you 17 18 you know girls is my niche I think and clearly it is because you the United Soccer Coaches large school girls high school coach of the year when you got the word do you remember what you were doing how did you find out yeah well it was a heck of a way to be woken up one morning <laughs> um, you know, I received that phone call and, you know, I thought that it was kind of a, I didn't even really understand the whole process of how the voting worked and what you had to do to be nominated and all those kind of things. And, you know, when I, even when I got the regional call, it was kind of like, really? Like, that's such an honor. I'm so, you know, it's just so nice to be, you know, to have other soccer people tell you that they're sort of, you know, verifying that what you're doing is working. But yeah, heck of a way for me to be woken up one morning with a, uh, hey, you've, you've won this award. And, you know, I was just so excited to be able to share it with, uh, you know, with my family. And I don't care what anybody says. It's still fun to, you know, to call your mom and let her know something good happened. <laughs> Absolutely, my man. No doubt about that for sure. When you think about United Soccer Coaches, advocacy, education, service, and also awards and recognition, what is the association meant to you, Blair? I think it's, it's, it's great to have a pat on the back and for people to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, because sometimes you don't get that verification. You know, it's just nice to know that there's a support system behind you, just like the program here at Mars. We've got such a great support system. I think that United Soccer Coaches has done such a great job of making sure that players get recognition, but also making sure that the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and all the hard work that goes into the X's and O's that people are sort, sort of pulled out of the background from for a minute and just said, hey, well done. And they give you an attaboy. And, you know, when you get one of those, it makes you want to strive for more. And I think that's going to help push this game to another level. Do me a favor. Please don't give me the answer that a loss would help you because at 42 and 0, I don't have a problem with it being 100 and 0. Tell me that you're not a believer that a loss helps you. You know how Coach Speak says that? Why not just run off 100 more, my man? Well, that certainly is the plan. Um, <laughs> we, we graduate, um, a couple of, uh, let's just say we graduate a really special class, not only of ability, but also of character. You know, they're going to be really hard leaders to replace. We've got a lot of young talent in the pipeline, you know, and we certainly hope to continue to be competitive. I'm not one to say that a loss helps you until that loss comes. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'll figure out a way to put a spin on that. But I think, uh, 
you know, right now the plan is to step on the field and, and, and be competitive and try and keep the, uh, keep the legacy rolling right now. All right. Well, tell Eden to keep it going too. Okay. Blair. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. The 2020 high school girls national coach of the year from Mars area high school, Mars PA just outside of Pittsburgh. Congratulations on being the national coach of the year for high school girls in the large school category. Thank you, Dean. I really appreciate you guys having me on. We're not done recognizing special people. I go way back with Ray Alley, the longtime editor, publisher, writer, do it all for Southern soccer scene. He is a friend to United Soccer Coaches and a longtime member. He gets a special presidential recognition, something that he can probably get every year. A visit with Ray Alley on the bounce. High school coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. It's our New Year's Eve edition as we took a look back on the year that was. And boy, was it a doozy. And we put the spotlight moving forward on the digital convention January 11 through 15. And we will have some presidential recognitions. And one will go to my good friend. I've known him a long time. I, I don't even, gosh, I think I met you in the early 90s, maybe late 80s. He's talking about Ray Alley, longtime editor, publisher, do it all with Southern Soccer Scene, longtime friend to United Soccer Coaches, longtime friend to soccer. Ray Alley, happy new year to you, my man. Great to see you. Same to you, thank you. Ray, you've done so much for the game, and you've probably gotten multiple of these. I'm not sure, but it's got to be nice to receive this presidential recognition from United Soccer Coaches, especially during such a crazy year. Well, it really is, and it's nice to be recognized by your peers. I've been a member of the association for over 40 years. I think this is my 43rd year. I go back to the blizzard year of uh, Boston when it snowed. 27 inches in 24 hours and shut the town down. That was a lot of snow for a Southern boy. Yeah, that's a lot of snow for a bunch of coaches to be pent up. I'm assuming the coaches still had a good time, right? They had a real good time until about the third day into the thing, the hotel ran out of beer. <laughs> what a great story that is. You've written a lot of stories, Ray. What made you want to start Southern Soccer Scene? When did you start it? And how in the world have you kept it going? Because my goodness. Well, that's a pretty good story because I was coaching men's soccer at uh, High Point University, High Point College at the time, and then at Guilford College. And I recruited up in Long Island, up in New York a lot. In fact, when I was in Boston, I left there and finally got a flight into LaGuardia and spent a week up there recruiting. And I had a good friend, Marty Goldberg, who really encouraged me to join the association from Lindbrook. And I went into the Lindbrook soccer shop and found a newspaper called Long Island Soccer Scene. And I subscribed to that for a long time. I got names of kids and followed the results, and recruited a lot of kids from Long Island over the years. So I figured, why not do one of these in North Carolina? So 
back then, uh, a newspaper article about soccer was a collector's item. Nobody was writing about soccer. And so I started it as a newsletter and it evolved. We published that for 38 years in a print format. We still have the website and got a little bit more involved in with Facebook and with Twitter over the years. But as uh, a lot of things have gone by the wayside, the print media side even for soccer is uh, pretty much gone by the wayside. What a great story. I, I didn't know that that backstory went all the way to during your time at coaching and was the genesis for starting that, Ray. I'm so glad you shared that. And by the way, I'm also so glad that in that same story, you mentioned the word Twitter, Ray Alley and Twitter. It goes together like peanut butter and jelly, my man. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. We've, we've got uh, quite a few people that follow us and that's part of our advertising package that we can send out some tweets and uh, support people who advertise on our website. I love that. I'll tell you what, for me, it's been like going home week the last several weeks. You know, I had to do the interview with um, Ziggy Schmidt's two kids. And then last week I had Paul Gardner on, who was still in rare form. Sounded like Bill Nye from uh, Love Actually. He was so funny and on point. And now... I get to hang out with you, Ray Alley. And you know what? I think that's one good way to get rid of what has been a horrific year, reminisce and, and push forward, right? Exactly. It's, uh, you know, that's what the convention was all about. It's going to be different, I know, with uh, being a digital, but in the past, it was, uh, it was a homecoming. You would go and you would see your friends, and a lot of them you only saw one time a year. It was really a, a great experience and a people experience. So, Ray, another fond memory. You mentioned High Point. I know you were there because I feel like it was the Ray Alley special when the U.S. national team played. It was kind of a B team, but I remember Jimmy Banks, the late, great Jimmy Banks, playing in that game. You remember when the U.S. played at, at High Point and then those couple games at Davidson that Charlie Slagle, the late, great Charlie Slagle, was also involved with? I think you were at all those games, right? Yeah, I was. In fact, I was on the organizing committee when we played those games in High Point at Simeon Stadium. The stadium was named for the longtime AD at High Point Central High School, who was really a football guy. Not the round football guy, but the oblong <laughs> football guy. It was the first game after the World Cup, after the 90 World Cup. And it was, may have been Bora's first game. And the place seated about, oh, I'd say 12,000 people. It was a high school stadium. And uh, we were filling it up. Mm -hmm. And the game had already started and people were still coming across the hill. And I was standing there with Coach Simeon. And he looked at me and said, I can't believe this. I've never seen so many people for a soccer game. They asked for what the uh, total was, and I gave them the total, 11,350. All right. And that was a guesstimate, but yeah. it was probably pretty close. I think it was. It was because it felt like it was overflowing. I remember that game like it was yesterday. It's strange, you know, the stuff you do forget and the stuff that uh, – you get logged in. I think you might be right, too, about that being Bora's first game. What a run Bora had all the way to the second round of the World Cup, getting out of the qualifying stage, which was was pretty cool indeed, Ray. As you reflect, Ray, and we wrap up our time here, 
Is there one special moment that you remember more than others during all of your time covering soccer, coaching soccer, being with the association? Well, coaching and, the, and being a part of the association is really two different things, even though they're, they're tied together. I think the teams that I've coached, I started coaching at the college level. And I'm coaching a girls' high school team that's probably technically better than the players I had on that college team. Mm -hmm. I've told people over the years that I started at the top and worked my way down. <laughs> but that's really not true because the girls I've got on this team are uh, unbelievably talented. From the standpoint of the uh, convention, I got to meet so many people and so many people that I never would have met had I not gone to conventions. Probably the most memorable are the red aprons. The guys that wore these red aprons that were at registration and coaches would come through and register and get their packets. And these guys were being helpful and being assistants with the uh, registration process. They had no clue that those guys were the cream of the cream in college, in college soccer. And I got to know a couple of them pretty well over the years, including Walter Barr, who was a wonderful guy. And he was down to earth and he took time and just to, to have a conversation every year with him. And he loved my publication, by the way. It was um, people that you read about you see on television, and yeah. you'd be sitting in a restaurant, and they're at the next table. Yeah. And Dean, it's youth coaches and college coaches and pro coaches and National League coaches. It's a whole deal. We all belong to the same group. Amen. Ray, it's no surprise that uh, you've been able to write the stories of soccer for so long, because even hearing you tell stories, they move me so much. And even though I haven't seen you in several years, I feel like we're always going to have a relationship where we can just pick up and in today's world, Zoom and be right back in together. I also feel like, Ray, and this is going to sound somewhat sycophantic, but I mean it. I feel like Lynn Burling-Manuel, if she's the president, she could give this award to you every year because of your service to the game. Congratulations on receiving the Presidential Recognition Award from United Soccer Coaches. We'll see you digitally on the convention. Let's get... 2020 behind us and let's look forward to a great 2021 is that a deal ray amen to that brother all right ray alley presidential recognition award southern soccer scene and so much more we'll be back with more right here on the united soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast as we continue to focus on the digital convention coming up January 11 through 15. I'm proud to be a host, but I'll be joined by some talented people, Ian Barker, Brian Maxwell-Turner, Julio Serrano, and Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> Nicole Hercules will also be one of the hosts. Nicole, thanks for being with us. And you know, it's always a pleasure when I can have a conversation with you. <laughs> yeah, same here. And I'll tell you what, you are... Um, 
developing quite a media personality. You welcome this, right? It'll be fun to, to be up there on the studio with you. Dean, out of all things convention, I'm most looking forward to this. This is going to be a great time just to bring the energy. This is going to be an experience unlike any other. And I can't, I'm just, I'm blessed to be a part of it, especially being able to co-host with you and all the names of the people that you just spoke about, you know, just a second ago. Yeah, I can't wait because I think we're going to have the opportunity, Nicole, to watch presentations, like take them in and then be able to talk about them and, and you know, discuss what we just saw. That's pretty neat, no matter what you're doing. Oh my gosh, yeah, and I was looking at the schedule, Dean, and the presentations and the educational um, opportunities that coaches have, and I even recognize that there are some things that aren't even listed on the schedule. So, man, it's going to be a fun time just to talk about a lot of the things that are happening. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We're going to try to figure out a way to double embarrass you is when you're hosting, we're going to then put the community spotlight on you that uh, we're also going to record later this week. Uh, that'll be funny for you to reflect on that. I'm looking forward to that, though, but because all the chairs for the advocacy groups, you guys have become a family, right? Oh, my gosh, we're so close, you know, and it's a group of coaches where unfortunately we won't be able to get together this year. But anytime we get together, it's a great time. The energy is amazing. And it really sets a standard and a precedent for what altruistic leadership looks like. I love every single one of the advocacy chairs. We all support each other and have each other's back. And we're looking forward to this next group of leaders and getting more people involved because we have such a special community of coaches. And there's so much that you can do when you have great leadership and people who just want the best for each other. It's always a joy being with those guys later today. I'm looking forward to that as well. Indeed. And Nicole, it's been a joy trying to take the right steps forward as we continue to fight for equality, to fight against racism, to be about respect and love. And I remember you saying though, early on, Nicole, and you were very clear. In fact, you were crystal clear in that, look, we've had dialogue before and it's disappeared. We can't let it disappear as we go into 2021. We gotta keep the dialogue going, right? Absolutely. And Dean, I actually have to commend you. I don't think I got to thank you enough, but you're one of those people. A lot of people tried to find a way that they can contribute to being a part of change. And you're one of those people. You kept the conversation going. You've continued to. And I think many people have recognized that this isn't just going to be a short sprint. You know, you say Bolt is, isn't involved in this here. This is going to be a marathon. It's going to take a long time for us to really address some of the social unjust and some of the things that are happening. But again, with this amazing coaching community that we're all a part of great things can happen. And I just want to thank you for your part in it and United soccer coaches who, you know, we had some challenging conversations, but they didn't disappoint, you know, they did their part, you know, there's always more that we can do, but I think for the most part, everyone tried to figure out ways that they can be more aware and ways that we can probably all become a part of change. And I'm proud of United soccer coaches and you Dean for being a part of the initial in the foundational steps to, to moving forward in a, in a better way. I really appreciate that. That uh, means a lot to me because I think I opened up to you and said that I was very naive to some of the things that uh, folks of color have to deal with and I'm no longer naive and my family is no longer naive and when you say you know pushing forward tell me you do believe Nicole that um, whether it's United Soccer Coaches or our country in general that we can push forward and continue the dialogue and, and end this whole racism issue. 
Absolutely. And I think the most important thing is while I'm the chair of the black soccer coaches group, it's not a black soccer coaches issue. It's a human issue. And to see people across all color lines coming together to do the right things all the time has been really important. And from youth soccer all the way up to the professional level, we've been able to see in this past year diversity and inclusion roles being created, task force being created. And we've led a lot of those conversations. But to see that everyone did not fall behind, but they were able to step up and create these platforms where these conversations, true and real conversations can be had for coaches and players to really express the experiences that they've had and to come together to find solutions and just to be aware on ways that we can all be a part of making things better for everyone in this game that we love. You're hearing the great passionate voice of Nicole Hercules. She's the president of the Rochester City Soccer League. She's also the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group. She'll be part of the advocacy spotlight and she'll also be a host along with me and julio serrano ian barker brian maxwell turner by the way mr turner's pretty good as well he's not bad love brian brian's one of our, our group members and yeah he's let me tell you something about brian brian definitely finds a way to network and create avenues and opportunities so i'm excited for people to meet brian as well it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun well, when they get you in the studio, here's what's going to happen to Hercules. And I know you're very humble, but all of a sudden it's going to be the spotlight. There might even be a makeup lady around. We might lose you to this TV world, Nicole. Any chance? I'll that would be a dream. That would be an app. I would love it. There's nothing that I love more than talking to the people from our community, learning to identify needs. I mean, it's probably my favorite thing. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't mind that, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I think you're going to be great. This one's going to be a little tougher. I'm going to ask you to dig deep. But as we do head into 2021, if you did have a magic genie bottle appear in front of you and you could make three wishes, they could be anything, Nicole. What might be your three wishes as we move forward and try to get past what has been a crazy 2020? Oh, this is a good one, Dean. I think one would be that we continue the conversation. You know, I've also been a part of United Soccer Coaches diversity and, and inclusion course. And we've had some phenomenal feedback from that program. Coaches really want to be more than just doing the X's and O's for their players. They really want to see this next generation of coaches and players who are positively influenced by the experience that they have in this game. So if one thing would be for people to continue with that same energy to remain engaged and to remain aware of how we can all just to be better, to use the world's game to make the world a better place. I really think that it's a unique opportunity for all of us. And I hope I hit three in what I just said, but I think that that's a real beautiful opportunity for us all to be a part of change. And it's not even just about Black Lives Matter. It's just about creating an amazing atmosphere for all players to come in, all coaches to come in and be a part of something special where everyone's seen, everyone's heard, and everyone can just be at their best with this game that we love. Beautiful indeed. You answered it all. Meet your hosts for the 2021 Digital Convention. Myself, along with Nicole Hercules, Julio Serrano, Ian Barker, Brian Maxwell Turner. Nicole Hercules, Happy New Year, and we'll see you in Kansas City for the Digital Convention. I cannot wait, and I know I'm excited to see everyone who's listening to the podcast next month as we're hosting this convention with an amazing panel and cast. I'll see you guys then. All right. Happy New Year, Nicole. Happy New Year, Dean. She always brings a smile to my face, Nicole Hercules. And coming up, talking about smiles to my face, another member of our 30 under 30 class, Sammy Ajay. His 
dad played for the Ghana Olympic team, came over and played in MLS. He stayed. Now he's coaching. He's a head coach at a D2 college, and he's a member of the 30 Under 30 class. We meet Sammy when we return. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. Our special New Year's Eve edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, my favorite part of the show, where we meet another impressive member of our 30 under 30 class, Sammy Ajay Jr., who's the head coach at Bloomfield College. We'll get to know a little bit more about that D2 program, but right now we're going to get to know Sammy. Happy New Year, Sammy. Happy New Year, Dean. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, delighted to have you on, and I want to hear your story. So, Tell us uh, where you're originally from, how long you've been in the States, and when you started playing soccer. I'm originally from Ghana, and I uh, moved to the States when I was about 11 years old. I started playing soccer when I was probably about six years old. My dad played for the Ghana national team, and is an Olympian. So, you know, I kind of grew up in that environment with a dad who, you know, played at the highest level. So I kind of didn't have much of an option. <laughs> I started playing as soon as I could really walk. That's big time. What position did your dad play on the Olympic team? My dad was a right back and a left back on the Olympic team for Ghana. That's incredible. Okay. And so you're 11, so you're old enough to know what's going on. What did your parents say when they said, you know, hey, we're leaving Ghana, we're headed to the United States? What was that all about, Sammy? Um, it was actually, you know, my dad moved here first to train with the Metro Stars because he was still kind of getting to the tail end of his career. And it was more so coming here to be with him and hopefully get more opportunities, you know, in, in the States to grow and in comparison to Ghana. So it was more so moving to get closer to my dad and also, you know, in hopes for, for greener pastures, if I may say so. All right, Sammy, walk me through ages 11 to 18. What club did you start playing for? Did you stay in New York? Did you move around? Tell us that story. Yeah, so I actually stayed in, in New Jersey the whole time. And, and you know, I started playing for Den of Lions. And one day we, we played against uh, a, a team that was being coached by Rick Jacobs, who was the head coach at St. Benedict's Prep. So after the game, Rick Jacobs came to me and said, um, I think you're going to come play for me at St. Benedict's. And, you know, I... Ended up going to St. Benedict's. I joined the New York Red Bulls at age 13 and played all the way there through ages 13 all the way to the first team. Pretty sure St. Benedict's, that's Claudio Reyna amongst other superstars, correct? Yes, yes. Claudio Reyna, Greg Berhalter. We've, we've, you know, Benedict's was, uh, we were ranked number one in the country at the time. So how many titles did you win during your time at St. Benedict's, Sammy? I won two titles at St. Benedict's Prep. All right, good for you. Okay. All right, now you've got to go through the process of picking a college. What did you decide to do, or did you go pro? Where did you go after St. Benedict's? Um, after St. Benedict's, I went to Iona College in uh, New Rochelle, New York, where I played for Fernando Barbodo, who's now the head coach at NJIT. It was a pretty tough decision, I think, by my junior year. You know, Iona was one of the first schools to offer me a full scholarship, and you know, coming from where I'm from, it's, you know, it's, if you get a free opportunity to attend college without paying, it's, you take it, you know, but I think looking back, I, I made the best decision and playing for one of the top coaches I, I feel in the state. And so it was, it was great experience at Iona. Yeah, you're dropping some great names. I love it. All right. What position did you play at Iona? What did you major in Iona? And when did you start getting the coaching bug in that order, Sammy? So I played as a left winger 
primarily at Iona and I also played as a center forward. I graduated from Iona in 2014 with a business marketing degree. In terms of coaching, I didn't start coaching up until I think uh, junior year at Iona. Okay. And were you coaching a youth club locally or what were you doing, Sammy? Walk us through that. I've coached all levels, right? I've coached from kids who were in KG to middle school to high school, then now to the college game. But when I first started, I actually had U10 girls from Montclair Soccer Club, which was, you know, a great experience. <laughs> all right. Well, you're six months into this Bloomfield job. Obviously, this terrible pandemic has kind of changed the game a little bit, but hopefully we get through it and you're back out there doing what you love. But talk about how you went about getting that job. What, uh, what are some of the jobs you did prior to that and the application? And what do you remember when you got the word, hey, you're going to be the new head coach of Bloomfield? Yeah, so it's actually very interesting how it happened. I, um, I was coaching for Wayne Hills High School. And prior to that, I coached uh, Pingree Middle School. And I wanted to coach at the next level and always push myself. So I started to look for colleges where I could volunteer some of my time, maybe a couple of times per week to, to kind of just get into that college game and you know, at the time I went to Bloomfield, you know, I live in Bloomfield, so it was a little bit convenient to go there. And I started helping out a couple of times per week. You know, fast forward, they, you know, decided to let, you know, move on from the current coach. And I figured, well, I've lost my volunteer coaching position. And actually a few weeks later, the athletic director, Sheila Wooten, she called me and said, Sammy, all the girls just came to me and said they want to play for you. So you know, if you're ready to take on this role, then I'm more than happy to have you join my family and join my staff. And I said, yeah, I had to think about it for about 30 seconds. And I said, yes, I'm in. Sign me up. All right. I'm glad they I'm glad they signed you up. And I'm glad that you mentioned it was the girls team. When did you know that you could coach women? Because sometimes there's some challenges there, but clearly they loved you and you must love them and everything's good. Yes. For me, the, the biggest part of my coaching is the relationship I form with my players and you know, like I mentioned earlier, I started coaching with U10 girls, you know, which may have been a foreshadowing that I'll continue to work with girls at some point. But I, I had a pretty good balance in terms of working with guys and girls. So I knew I could go either way. And you, like you said, there's a little difference. But I think at the end of the day, you're still coaching people and you want to form relationships with them and win games. <laughs> I love that story on how you got that job. And that's awesome that the players went to the administration and said, hey, we want Sammy. I also want to know your story on how you were able to get the word from 30 under 30. Did you apply multiple times? What made you want to be a part of it? And what do you remember about when they said, hey, you're in? So um, a very good uh, coaching colleague of mine who actually played at Iona, Laura Jackson, she was part of 30 under 30 a few years ago and is now assistant coach at Kansas. So I knew she she had went through that program and she only had great things to say. And I said, okay, let me try applying this one time and see if I get in. So I applied for it and I didn't even, you know, I kind of took my mind off it for a while because I wasn't sure how many people were applying, if I'll get in. And so I think uh, the day I found out was Laura actually posting on her Instagram story and tagging me and say, Sammy, congrats. And I saw the, the, the story, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and that's when the text started coming in from my other coaching colleagues and mentors and Congrats, congrats. I was like, wow, I actually got in. <laughs> I love it. Well, Sammy, I like your background. It's pretty amazing that your dad played for Ghana and played for them in the Olympics, and he's now over here still with you in the States with your mom and your sister. Can you kind of put into words how proud your parents are of you? I think my parents set pretty high standards for us, you know, coming from Ghana to America because, you know, we constantly were told we have opportunities that not every kid, you know, has exposure to. So I would say they, they're very proud of our of our accomplishments so far. And I say our because my sister is a doctor at the Yale Hospital in Connecticut. 
and she's a Harvard graduate. So, you know, they set the bar is pretty high for us. And, you know, I'm, if anything, I'm proud of my sister, <laughs> you know, and I kind of went the soccer route and followed my dad. So, yeah. That's so well said, particularly in this era of COVID. I'm super proud of your sister and grateful to her as well. Please send her my gratitude and, and really everybody's gratitude for uh, doing what she's doing because it's definitely a scary time for sure. Knowing that you've got such a unique background, I'm going to put a little pressure on you. You've probably <laughs> been able to meet some pretty neat people in soccer, but if you could pick just a couple people that um, are dead or alive in the soccer world that you'd love to have a dinner with, who would they be and why, Sammy? Who would you love to hang out with and pick their brain? That's a tough one. <laughs> um, I think I would one of the people I pick is uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who is the coach for Everton currently. Um, you know, he's one of the coaches I study a lot, and I think his his method of leadership, and he's coached some of the best players in the world and always found a way to get them on the same page and play for him. So I think he would definitely be one of them. And I think the second one might be Ronaldinho, man. I think just as a player, I think that's more from a player perspective and how he was always able to play with so much joy, no matter what was happening around him. And that's one thing I always took with me is that no matter what was going on when I stepped on the field, nothing else mattered. It was just having fun and, and, and still remembering why I started playing the game in the first place. Those are solid, my man. I can tell you took some time thinking about it. All right, switching to women's soccer. Now that you're coaching women and the U.S. women are so amazing, the NWSL is doing well. You have a team nearby in Sky Blue. They've righted the ship. They look like they know what they're doing over there now. Do you get behind and support the young women on your team as they cheer for the U.S. women's national team and support the NWSL? Yes, absolutely. I think the culture for, for women's soccer is, is brilliant here. You know, and I have a few girls on my team who grew up in countries or environments where there was nothing like girl soccer, right? They played with the boys. So for them to be in the States now and see how big the women's soccer game is, is huge. I actually have a couple of friends who play in the NWSL and I've actually had them come on a Zoom call with my team. So Jamia Fields, who plays for Houston, she's been on a Zoom call. And then Jennifer Cujo, who plays for Sky Blue, she's also been on a Zoom call with my girls. So more so now than ever, they've been connected to a few professionals and now they see what it takes. They hear from them directly. And it's actually been great that I've been able to bring that to Bloomfield and the girls kind of have an example to emulate now. All right. It's New Year's Eve. Let's end with this again, two questions in one. I've been crushing you with these, but you've been handling them all. What might be your new year's resolution? Maybe you haven't thought about it yet. And then because it's new year's, I like to ask this crystal ball question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now. So New Year's resolution for 2021, as we all try to put 2020 behind us. And 10 years from now, Mr. Sammy, where will you be? So my New Year's resolution is to continue to challenge myself every day and make sure my next session is better than my last session and just continue growing in that manner. And I think in 10 years, I see myself hopefully coaching at the highest level and, and, and you know, continuing to form relationships with people and making a difference through soccer. Sam, I am. Sammy, pleasure getting to know you. Thanks for being on the New Year's Eve edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. You have a bright future, young man. Thank you, Dean. I really appreciate you for having me. I want to thank Sammy and all of our great guests. I also want to thank Sean Chevrolet, Mike Knipper, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. Colin Thrash, our producer. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linke saying one more time, Happy New Year. We'll see you with a big smile in 2021. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.